Pastor Xavier Reese explaining that when God commands, don't sin, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. The greatest defense that you and I have as Christians is that you can go through life and say, this pleases God, this displeases God. Do you understand the safety that is through life? I mean, if you can read the traffic signs on the freeway, it says one way, don't enter. You're going to be a safe driver. If you can read the signs that are given to us in the Word of God, you're going to live a safe life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. For those parents choosing to administer corporal punishment to their young children, the proverbial sentiment, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it does you, is an emotion that's likely to ring true. And so it is with the Heavenly Father, a loving but holy God obligated to administer divine judgment to those who are His. And in our Simple Truth study for today, Pastor Xavier uses the words of the prophet Jeremiah to communicate how God is lovingly patient and willing to pardon sin for those seeking forgiveness, yet certain to judge it for the unrepentant. Let's listen. As you know, one day God came down and talked to Abraham with two angels to remind him of the birth of Isaac. And then he revealed to Abraham that he was also going to go judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, should I hide this thing from Abraham? And he began to reveal to Abraham. And Abraham, in conversation with God, said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare for the 50 righteous that are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes. And so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom and Gomorrah 50 righteous, then I will spare all the place for their sake. And as you know, Abraham continued haggling. He got down to 10. He still couldn't find 10. God is constantly being accused, especially by the non-believer, that he is uh, impatient and loving and he brings judgment without sufficient warning. Nothing could be further from the truth. God has always warned and great advanced time when judgment has come. In fact, Amos the prophet, chapter 3, verse 7, says this. He says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secrets to His servants, the prophets. God always warns. God always reveals what He's going to do, particularly when it comes to judgment. As you know, God gave to Noah the message 120 years. And they mocked and they rejected it and they perished. Now, 120 years, I think, is pretty patient. There's a line that God draws. Once people cross it, God in all His love can do nothing about it. Jesus warned Israel about the judgment to come as He wept over Jerusalem, as you know, and He said that, you know, it would be leveled. And in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, entered the city and leveled it. And every Jew was dispersed throughout the world. And they were without a homeland for 2,000 years until May 14, 1948, when they declared their independence for the third time. Persistent warning about the judgment. Plenty of warning over and over and over again. The days of Jeremiah are no different as you have already seen in the few chapters we have looked at. And if you've read the whole book, you see the consistent warning and proclamation about judgment. 
But after warning has been declared by the prophet, people still harden their heart. Now, the northern kingdom had been warned by the prophets of the past. They had gone into captivity about a hundred years prior to that. And now Judah was ready to go to captivity because all of the warnings were not being heeded. To no avail, the proclamation. And so what we want to do is look to Jeremiah as Jeremiah reveals the holy righteous judgment of God, evident by three things here in verses 1 through 9. Let me read it. Run to and fro through the street of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a man. If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have Refuse to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Therefore, I said, surely these are poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bond. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the desert shall destroy them. A leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their backslidings have increased. How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn to those who are not gods. When I fed them with the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves as a troop of the heartless houses. They were like well-fed, lusty stallions, every one night after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? The questions are rhetorical. They have an obvious, obvious answer. Yes. That's how the book of Jonah finishes. Jonah, is it not right that I be merciful? There's a hundred and some thousand kids who can't tell their left from their right hand. Ain't I right for pardoning them? And, the, and it ends like that. The answer is yes. And so here, Jeremiah reveals the holy righteous judgment of God, evident by three things. Notice, first in verse 1 and 2, Yahweh's willingness to pardon sin. Yahweh's willingness to pardon sin. Secondly, verse 3 and 5, Yahweh's patience with ongoing sin. His patience with ongoing sin. And then thirdly, in verse 6 through 9, Yahweh's certainty to judge sin. His certainty to judge sin. This message is as relevant to us today as it was in the days of Jeremiah. And maybe more so because of the situation our nation finds itself in, in this time and in this age. So don't ignore it, thinking that these are just stories of the past. To, if you will, literally scare the hell out of you. It isn't. It's to put the fear of God in you if you're in sin. It's to bow your knee to the one who's convicting you of sin. And to know that if you don't turn, then you will be judged. It is as authoritative, it is as valid today as it was the day Jeremiah proclaimed it. Let's begin here with the first evidence. Yahweh's willingness to pardon sin. 
verse 1 and 2. Notice in verse 1, the beginning, God challenges the prophet to seek out a man. The particular command is that the prophet Jeremiah run up and down through the streets of Jerusalem to seek out a man in her open places to see if there is a person who is living obedient to Yahweh. Now, it's an ample city. There's a lot of people around. And you would think that, you know, you would find one. But, but God says no. One who was executing judgment. And the word judgment is misspot. It means that which is right, that which is just, that which God had given to them to be guided by. The greatest defense that you and I have as Christians is that you can go through life and you can be absolutely sure that you can say, this is right, this is wrong. This pleases God, this displeases God. You have that ability. I have that ability. Do you understand the safety that is through life? Do you know how much hurt you will escape? Heartache? Destruction? I mean, if you can read the traffic signs on the freeway, it says one way, don't enter. I hope you're literate. Because if you're not, it may cost you your life. If you can read the signs, then you're going to be a safe driver. If you can read the signs that are given to us in the Word of God, you're going to live a safe life. Notice one who was seeking the truth. The word truth refers again to the revealed truth of Yahweh for the nation. God had a purpose. God had a direction. God wanted to use them to reach the nations. To make them distinct. God is giving you truth to make you distinct. I remember when we first were all born again in the early 70s. And we came out of the 60s and everything else. And it was radical that you were a Christian. I mean, and you, you know, and people didn't understand it. And, and boy, my life was as different as night and day. And, and it just kind of, when you come to the Lord, it's almost like a naiveness. You become almost like real trusting and everything else. It was, and, and, and people in the world just look at you weird. But we were in the world. So we weren't intimidated by the world. It was no big deal. This was that the prophet might know for himself in a practical way that there wasn't a man. Now this, of course, excludes Jeremiah and Baruch and the handful that were with him. But he's talking about the general consensus of all the city and the nation. Now, God told Ezekiel something similar. Remember, Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. Ezekiel's in Babylon. Jeremiah is prophesying captivity. The false prophet is saying, no way. Ezekiel saying, kick back, make a home, 70 years. The false prophet saying, no way. These things are happening at the same time. So here you have the message of Jeremiah, run through the streets, up and down, look for a man. And yet in Ezekiel 22.30 says, So I sought a man among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Same message, why? It's the same people, the same time period. No different, just two different locations. The prophets of old, if you've read them, were told to do some weird things to communicate their message and make them clear. You might call them physical illustrations. The prophets would proclaim their message and they would call to be charades. We have games like that today, charades. You know, you don't talk, you just got to go this and you're going, okay, ice cream, ice cream, you know, you're going through the whole thing. Well, the same thing they did. In fact, Ezekiel was called to do these charades on how God was going to besiege the city with a frying pan and covering up and the fire and throwing hairs into the fire and throwing some up to the wind and slapping the side of his leg, everything else. What the heck are you doing? And it was to illustrate, hey, this is the judgment that's coming. It was to shed light on that message, make it clear. 
vivid illustrations of the message that wasn't, wasn't being heeded. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus gave the message. People didn't pay attention. So he started teaching in parables. A man went out to sow seed. And all of a sudden the light turned on. God goes out of his way to make his message clear. To knock on the door of our heart. Turn from your sin. He goes out of his way over and over again. Later on, Jeremiah will be called to get a girdle and to take it down the Euphrates rivers and bury it. And then after it's all moldy and holy, take it on, put it on and walk around the city to declare the ruin aspect and condition of the nation that it was too late. But notice also that not only there was no one who was doing and living out justice, but even though this is happening, the precious promise of Yahweh was that if he could find a person, he would pardon the city. He is the one speaking. He's the ultimate authority. He sets the rules. He never violates his holiness. That would be based on true repentance. And true repentance gets true forgiveness. And he would have a basis by which to pardon it. Of the ultimate sacrifice that come, Jesus Christ. There is no greater authority. And the act of pardoning the city would be an act of mercy. Less than they deserve as well as grace, something they did not deserve, just like you and I. We got saved, we received grace, we didn't deserve it. And every day we receive grace and mercy over our lives. Even the non-believer receives mercy. Because they don't deserve a lot of the things that God gives and says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. He provides for them. He gives them good health. In fact, sometimes Christians get envious because the non-believer and the guy who's out there doing his thing is just, he lives to be a hundred years old and he's, you know, he's never sick and you're a Christian and you've got bills you can't even pay. You know, you're in the hospital constantly. But don't be like the psalmist in Psalm 73 who does, who becomes jealous of the non-believer. He says, you have not cleansed your hands in innocence. You know, they are walking on a slippery pole. And when he understood that, he says, when I went to the sanctuary of God and I prayed, then I understood their end. I was like a beast before you, Lord. Who do I have in heaven besides you? Who do I desire on earth besides you? <laughs> Prayer and the study will always, or the word of God will always bring me back to reality. To get my eyes off the world and stuff like that. The searching out would be futile. The corruption was widespread, much like the days of Noah. Much like the very same issues with Sodom and Gomorrah as Abraham interceded. Notice, secondly, here that God charges the people with false words. He's done this before. Here, Yahweh declares to Jeremiah that the people merely use spiritual language insincerely. He says, and though they say the Lord lives, using phrases that are common to the spiritual community, the phrase was used as an oath to bear witness of the truthfulness of their words. They were taking an oath in Yahweh's name, in falsehood, breaking the fourth commandment. You should not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. And I think that Christians take God's name in vain more than non-believers. We often get scared and angered when people say, oh, Jesus Christ, or they blurt out in anger. And though I don't like it, they're ignorant, they're dead. But I think that Christians take God's name in vain more when they use spiritual jargon to attribute something to God that God has not done. They said, well, the Lord told me or the Lord spoke to me and the Lord didn't. Or everything is the Lord did this and that. And, and they just use language that just is spiritual and it just sounds that way. But it's really taking God's name in vain. 
If you're going to say God said something, you better make sure God says something. If God's directing you, then say God directed you, but don't say He's directing you if He's not directing you. See, the problem is we always want to give people an appearance that we're more spiritual than we really are. Such was the place here with the people. Now, notice Yahweh declares to Jeremiah that the people are lying. Surely they swear falsely. I mean, God sees everything. The problem is that we don't always know that. So people say something, we take them at face value, and, and they may be lying. So God is revealing to Jeremiah the reality of it. Though, though they say this, don't believe it. The sense of being false is hypocritical. By passing oneself off for what one is not. The falsehood is a life of duplicity. A person who lives two different lives. Our nation and our country is good for this. Two different lives. The sense of being false is always with the intent to deceive another man rather than God. And if one thinks he can deceive God, then he's truly deceived. The story of Jonah should be a constant reminder to each of us of how much and how often God is willing to pardon sin. You stop and think about it. These guys were bad news. They would um, tear people apart by tying them to two different horses. They would skin them alive. They would uh, bury them in uh, the ground with their heads just sticking up, put uh, honey and then let ants all over them. They would put hooks in their lips and their cheeks and drag them away and lead them to um, captivity. Entire cities would commit mass suicide when they would, the city would be sieged because they were so cruel and so horrible. And Jonah didn't want to see them saved. Jonah didn't even want to go preach to them. He took off the other way. But God was willing for them to be saved. Nineveh is a constant reminder to us the willingness of God to pardon sin. Regardless of the sin. The scriptures tell us that judgment is God's strange way of dealing with man. Rather than forgiving him. His rule is to forgive. His, his desire is to love. But when he is pressed against the wall. And where there is a refusal to repent. He can do no other. In fact we are told that in Isaiah 28.21. He says this. For the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perism. And he will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon. That he may do his work. His awesome work and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. And he's talking about judgment. The word unusual there means strange or foreign. In other words, the rule of God is to forgive. The exception is to judge. Boy, that puts a little clearer light on scriptures, doesn't it? You as a parent do similar things because you're creating the image of God. Even though we're fallen... We would love to bless our children rather than chasing them. And what we do is the exception. How much more God? But we're looking for repentance. The act of being false is self-deceptive for two simple reasons. First, God sees everything. Hebrews 4.13 says... And there is no creature hidden from him, his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. 
That's the first thing. The second thing is the principle of sowing and reaping in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you reap abundant life. That principle is true for believer and non-believer. Nobody escapes it. There is no sin that God cannot forgive except for the one that does not confess and abandon through repentance. Jesus said, therefore, Matthew 12, 31, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Where the Spirit of God continues to convict you of your sin, of your wrong, of your walking away from God, walking apart from God, and you refuse it, you shine it on, and you die in your sin. That sin will not be forgiven. So in reality, everybody will go to hell because they have rejected the ongoing conviction of God to turn them to repentance. They will be held responsible for their sins individually, but ultimately they go because they have rejected the pardon of the sins that were available to them. Pretty heavy, isn't it? There is no sin that God cannot forgive except for the one that you don't confess. Because it's by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Peter 1.19. The token of the atonement. And so the holy righteous judgment of God is evident by Yahweh's willingness to pardon sin. He's more than willing. Notice secondly, verse 3 through 5. Yahweh's patience is ongoing. So his holy righteous judgment is evident by Yahweh's patience with ongoing sin. Notice first in verse 3, the prophet declares the ways God attempts to turn people from their sin. First, Jeremiah here acknowledges the omniscience of Yahweh regarding the people's corruption by declaring, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? In other words, nothing escapes his penetrating vision. There is not a single thing that anybody can inform God about. Now, keep that in mind because many of our prayers are giving God information. We're telling Him how late our, our mortgage is. We're telling Him how, how many knocks our, our, our car has. Listen, He can tell you of some that you don't know about that will blow your mind. So when you pray, it's not to inform God. Notice Jeremiah acknowledges the loving chasing of Yahweh to turn to people and their refusal to turn. These are not false charges. You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. Now let me ask you something as a parent. When you discipline your child, and he doesn't grieve, and he doesn't receive correction, does it make you happy? Of course not. Then how much more for God? Now, you and I as parents will pursue our children to the very end. I will follow my children to the very last breath if they're not walking with God. If they go to hell, they will go to hell with their father warning and praying for them. God will do much more. He'll go further than I ever will. Pastor Xavier Reese, using today's message in Jeremiah chapter 5 to explain God's policy concerning sin. His desire is to love. His rule is to forgive. But it's his exception to have to judge sin in the face of unrepentance. 
Now, if you've missed any part of today's message, you can hear it from beginning to end again, anytime online. Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But there's much more to this study to come right here next time. So if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message on CD as well for just $4. The title you want to ask for is simply God's Reluctant Judgment. Once again, that's God's Reluctant Judgment. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Coming up next time, Pastor Xavier Reese explains how God will convict you. He will chasten you. He will chase you. But it's you who must make the decision to turn from your sin. Hope you'll join us again for more Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com